Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new week and a new podcast, uh, another week of Houston Sports Weekly. We bring you the hot sports news across H-Town each and every week, uh, usually with guests, and sometimes it's just us here in studio. I'm KPRC2 Sports Director Randy McElvoy. Uh, great to have you with us, and uh, pretty cool format. We've changed our format because we're going longer now, and I uh, hope you'll enjoy it as, if you're watching or if you're just listening and driving right now. Uh, pleasure to be joined by KPRC Texans insider, uh, longtime NFL writer Aaron Wilson for the first half of the podcast today. We'll talk a little Astros coming up as well. Ari Alexander will join me in uh, part of my chat with Jesus Ortiz after the big introduction of Jose Abreu uh, yesterday. But great to have you with us on Houston Sports Weekly. Aaron, good to great see you, to my be friend. Thank you. Good friend of the show and a big part of what we do here uh, with Texans coverage. Uh, your coverage has been great. I know it's been. Thank you very much. First, I want to ask you. Everybody knows who you are and what you've done at this point. You've been on several times, too, on, on the podcast. How hard is it to write for a team that's as bad as the Texans? I mean, do you just have to lock in as if they're 9-1 and one or 1-9-1? One, and one? It doesn't matter. Because right. you, you cover the angles of the team. It's a challenge, yeah, Randy. So when you're doing it, you have to never lose sight of the big picture, which is the record and yeah. the outlook. And then I would like to think a lot about development. So you know, when I'm working on stories, I think a lot about – Jalen Petrie or Derek Stingley Jr. or Kenyon Green. And yeah. we've done multiple stories on all those players on their highs and lows. And I think development, because you have to think about, well, they're a rebuilding franchise. Mm-hmm. So the overhauled roster, big part of what I think about is, well, who are the keepers? Who are the guys that are going to be here next year? Right. And when a guy has a good performance, I tend to delay it when they lose. So like, let's say it's Malik Collins, and mm-hmm. he has two sacks and three tackles for losses. Malik's a good football player. All, all could agree on that. Do you do that Sunday, or do you kind of wait and it's the follow, or it's even the day later? And that's kind of one of my adjustments I make and how I cover the team. Mm-hmm. And I'm always thinking about well, what are the most important issues? Quarterback, head coach, personnel, and any rise and fall of certain players like Damian Pierce. You know, we were talking about him for offensive rookie of the year and. Now he's hit kind of a roadblock. It's some of that yep. schematic with the strategy, what the other teams are doing, and mm-hmm. the uh, inefficiency of quarterback. The failure at quarterback has directly impacted Pierce's so, production. So, so you're not lacking like story angles. No, they're all have angles. angles. It's just, it just happens to be a bad football team. You have team. to change the angle. And, it, yeah. you know, and I think, can we do they can't stop the run article every week? Of course, but what's different? Right. So is Nick Chubb still an angle? Well, sure. Deshaun Watson angle, all those things angles. All right. Uh, speaking of one uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, let's talk about it here because we're focusing on the first half of this week's podcast, Houston Sports Weekly, um, on the Texans. We'll, again, we'll get to Astros in a, in a few minutes. But uh, this is Deshaun Watson week. Uh, you're out there. And as we're taping this, by the way, folks, it's Wednesday. This is dropping, obviously, Friday. But uh, we're being told Deshaun is going to talk uh, Friday. Uh, from Cleveland. We'll see if that holds up. But what was the sense from what you heard and saw Wednesday out there talking with some of the guys? Uh, many of these guys weren't even on this team when Deshaun was here. But right. what, what are you sensing and feeling? They, they know they're not they, they're, they're not in a cave here. They know what's happening. Deshaun Watson's coming back to, to where he played. Right. It's a difficult thing because they're trying to compartmentalize the fact that Deshaun Watson is the reason this game between two losing teams has any – really uh, profile at all. And then 
What's Deshaun like? There's that uncertainty. It's been 700 days. He's a three-time Pro Bowl passer. He led the NFL in passing yards his last season here, but he hasn't played in the game since that year, Randy. So what's he going to be like? There's an unknown factor. He looked rusty in the preseason. What's he going to play like? And then do they change their scheme at all? You're talking to Lovey Smith. He's expecting them to still hand the ball off a lot to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Mm -hmm. I would expect the run-pass option to be there. And then there's the off-field factors, and that's where it gets very complicated. And I think it's um, you know sort of a complex thing because these guys, a lot of them, like Titus Howard, they consider Deshaun Watson a friend. They kind of look away from, well, yeah, he has to be traded. Well, that was his own personal reasons. Right. His personal well, situation off the field, all the legal problems have been well-documented, mm-hmm. all of those issues that will you know include Tony Busby and some of the accusers, uh, Scheduled to attend Plus the game. Must be at the game in yes, a suite, the, which uh, I don't Sunday. think Deshaun will even see no, them. And I don't think he but will that's more, uh, you know, kind of trolling him a little bit. But the fact is, Randy, for the football players just in that locker room, they had a focus on just trying to get a victory. They have only right. won one game, right. and the fact that it's Deshaun and they know him, I don't think the familiarity factor really makes a difference. You know, the fact remains he's a talented quarterback. Mm-hmm. He's got a good offensive line. He's got good running backs. He's got a lot of options to throw to, like Amari Cooper and David Njoku. It'll be yeah. hard. I, I think a lot of people, and we were talking earlier in the week from uh, Lovey Smith at his news conference. I had a chance to sit down one-on-one with Lovey, part of Texans game day, which uh, if, as you, if you watch uh, every Sunday morning, 1030 here on KPRC2. But um, what does Sean will we see? I mean, the fact is this guy hadn't played a football game in a long time. As talented as he is, no doubt, we can't hide the fact this Deshaun's got talent. But will there be rustiness? Uh, it's a lot different than running out there during practice. All of a sudden, you got a game situation going on. Do you expect, as a guy that's been around football as long as you have, are we going to see, maybe at least in the first half, kind of a rusty Deshaun? Or is he going to come out guns a-blazing here and just on fire and ready to light it up? Basically, what I saw in the preseason, I think that there will be a rust factor. Yeah. What they'll try to do to mitigate that will be handing the football off and getting him in favorable down and distance, which mm-hmm. I think they can do. And then <clears throat> if you do run RPO plays, you can freeze the defense. You can do some things to just let him use his athleticism. He hasn't lost that. Mm-hmm. He's just as fast and quick and instinctive as ever. Where I would expect him to have some problems is just his accuracy, his timing, and that to hold him back a little bit. But I think, you know, it's kind of like Lovey Smith said. It's like riding a bike. He knows what he's doing. Preseason football, I mean, one of those interceptions was a dropped pass where it just went off the guy's hands. And I think there was a considerable amount of nerves that he needed to get off of his shoulders. And a lot of that had to do with the legal being so recent. He's had a lot of months now. So I I would think that, you know, from a nervousness factor and the stress that's got to be high, but only he could tell you, and we got to hear from him and see how he handles that. But mm-hmm. you know, I think that that's that's a big factor too, not just the rust, but the fact that you know there are a lot of people here in Houston, Texas, that feel some kind of way about Deshaun Watson. He was accused yeah. of a lot of absolutely, you know, um, I would say, uh, sexual misconduct. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, to you know, to put it uh, just generally. So that this is the backdrop, and there will be a lot of attention paid. Yeah, and uh, what reaction he's going to get as well uh, from the fan base. I mean, are we going to see, are we going to hear a lot of boos? Are we going to hear, I think we're going to hear a mix, honestly. I think we're going to see a mix. I think we're going to see a lot of uh, people wearing those Deshaun Watson jerseys because there right. are definitely our, our fans that are 
still fans of his. And uh, so it's going to be a different atmosphere than we've seen all season long. That's no doubt about that. From a losing football team, it's been half empty, if not worse. I think we're going to see fans in the stands. But uh, but how he responds, that's going to be the, the interest, interesting thing. And uh, can the Texans push aside all the hype and the buildup and get that second win that you were talking about? They need something to wake this team up, man. It's just that was – that was a tough game to watch. You were in Miami. That was a tough game to watch on TV, man. It's very bleak because they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't protect the ball. The switch to Kyle Allen gave them no spark. If anything, it was just as bad, if not worse, than Davis Mills's performances. So, And then defensively, they couldn't cover. And that was predictable without Derek Stingley. They had problems with Tyreek Hill. They had problems with Jalen Waddell from Episcopal. They had a lot of issues, and yeah. Tua Tagovailoa. Yeah, they got to him a little bit. Players said it was embarrassing that they were able to pull Tua in the third quarter. You know, it's thirty nothing, but you Just know the game was completely lines. over. Yeah, and I understand what Lovey Smith's saying, and he, he does look for the positives, and that's fine. But we got to be realistic. They were completely uncompetitive, and mm-hmm. they're a team right now that they're the worst team in the NFL, and they got to own that. Yeah. And you can't you can't sugarcoat that. Yeah, because we're less than 150 days away from the NFL draft. I think people are doing yeah. the official countdown. I know we had a little fun with it on Sports Sunday, but inside 150 days, April 27th, by the way, NFL draft. Uh, the Texans are pacing to have that uh, number one pick. All right, we got uh, three, four, about four minutes here uh, as we kind of close this Texan segment here on Houston Sports Weekly. Uh, Kyle Allen started in Miami. Uh, do you see him being the guy the rest of the way, no matter what, or do you think that they're gonna? We'll eventually see Davis Mills back out there in this final stretch of the regular. I think it's a scenario where Davis Mills gets his job back. I think that if do Kyle doesn't start throwing some touchdowns and sparking them a little bit, we'll see Davis maybe as soon as next week. I think mm-hmm. that Kyle does not have a which is Dallas, by the way, a real large runway here. Yeah, and if he continues like the way that interception, inexcusable as he said when he threw it up for grabs like that, mm-hmm. just as bad as the Davis Mills interception. Right. So I thought yeah, he played he had a nice ball to Brandon Cooks. Yeah. Uh, you know, it wasn't great. He played a little faster probably yeah. than Davis. He processes quicker, but but I, I also think this is my opinion. Kyle had been out there in a long time either, right. so I don't even know how much. I mean, I I think it would be foolish for the Texans to to rush and get him off the field. I mean, he's got to have. In all fairness, he's got to have a, a, a quote, warm-up act, too. Maybe because, two or three games. Yeah, yeah just a, a, a sample size that's legitimate and because uh, he's got to shake off the rust as well. I think when none of these guys are really the future, you just right. are looking for anybody that can help you get a win. So yeah. if he can do that, and I, mm-hmm. I think the odds are obviously against them, against the Browns, him doing that. But yeah. I would say you know he's got a little time, not much more time. All right, a couple minutes left. Uh, can they get the running game going here? Uh, Damian Pierce has had a nice season as a rookie. Uh, last few weeks, it hasn't been as good. Not sure if it's on him. Are you seeing stuff in the offensive line? I know Lovey definitely wasn't happy with the way the offensive line's been doing things. Right, because they're dominated in the interior. It's not on Titus Howard and Larry Tunson, the tackles. It's on Scott Quesenberry. It's on A.J. Can and Kenyon Green, the rookie, who struggled a lot, and they're rotating him a bit now, mm-hmm. plugging in Justin McCray at left guard. So nothing's really going very well. They give up a lot of penetration. When they do walk up an extra defender, they have seven in the tackle box. They're outnumbered, and they can't block all those guys. They can't block the guys they're even supposed to block. So the running game's got no chance. The only thing they could try to do is a sweep, and I don't know, I don't know if that's Damian's forte. 
Yeah. They're just they're in trouble. All right, we got a little less than a minute. Uh, they've got uh, just a handful of games left. You see any more wins coming? Is it going to need to take a near perfect game? You got Cleveland Sunday, Dallas. You got Kansas City after that. I'm not sure after that who's coming up, but they're not going to be favored, obviously. In any right. Yeah. Well, there's you know you look at the Colts game. That's yep. a, it's a road game, but that might be a winnable game Possibly, for them. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. And then you know they still have to host the Jaguars, so. That's one you can look at, yeah. But I think it's it's going to be tough for them, Randy. They don't have a lot of you know real upside right now. All right, great stuff, great insight uh, on the Texans. Again, it'll be the Cleveland Browns and Deshaun Watson. How about that? We've been waiting for this date to get here. A whole year. It's finally here. Deshaun Watson is going to make his uh, Cleveland debut, and of all places, NRG Stadium. We'll have it covered. KPRC two. Click to Houston.com. Aaron, of course, will be out there writing about it as well. We're going to take a quick break here on Houston Sports Weekly. When we come back, we're going to talk some Astros. They had a big week with Jose Abreu. Ari Alexander joins me. We'll also hear uh, from Jeff Bagwell and Jesus Ortiz. We're coming right back. All right, welcome back to Houston Sports Weekly, our weekly podcast here at KPRC Channel 2. Uh, good conversation there with uh, Aaron Wilson talking uh, Texans football, the return of Deshaun Watson coming up Sunday uh, when the Cleveland Browns uh, come to town. Uh, we segue now to some Astros talk. As I mentioned earlier, R. Alexander uh, hanging out here in the uh, podcast studio. <laughs> uh, they made some adjustments. Actually, pretty good setup, man. They've added a few bells and whistles here. Yeah. Uh, you know, making it happen here every week. Hey, it's been uh, an interesting week, uh, Ari, for the uh, for the Astros. The first big move by quote owner GM GM Jim, <laughs> Jerry Jones. Jim yeah, Crane. That's right, Jim Crane uh, and and his team uh, getting Jose Abreu. Uh, before we get to Jeff Bagwell reacts, general thoughts on this move. This is a nice move, man. Because I think it's good. He was wanted by several teams. Yeah, I mean he's he won MVP in 2020. Yes, he's a little older. He's going to play the 2023 season at age 36. His power was down this year, and I think that's mm-hmm. less age and more of him trying to hit to all fields. This is a win now move, and the Astros are in win now mode. There's no reason for them to to do stuff to try to win in 2025, right? right. They just won the World Series. They're probably going to be favored to win the World Series again in 2024. They might be favored to win the World Series again. <laughs> Almost everyone is back on these two teams, yeah. and this quote unquote large amount of free agents they lost this year. It seems like there won't be that many guys up next year. And so this is going to be a very similar-looking team over the next few years and immediately helps a lot. Uh, let's uh, listen in right now. Jeff Bagwell was a part of this process. Flew to Miami to go I, he, get Jose yeah, Abreu. He said he'd never done that before as far as being involved in chasing after a player and helping. But Jim Crane asked him to do it, and everybody's saying, well, do you want to be the GM? You'd be a great GM. And yeah. He wants no part of that. I think that because that, that's a – a lot of hours a week, a year-round job. I don't think he wants that. But he likes helping where he can. He said, right. I'm an Astro. Just, I want to do what I can. But he is a big fan of uh, Jose Abreu. Listen in to what uh, Jeff Bagwell had to say. It proves, again, how great an owner Jim Crane is. He just doesn't – you know, we win a World Series. Like, okay, we got to fly to Miami to go see Jose. So, um, you know – it's something that I, that I enjoy because I get a chance to see the person. You know, so much of this game is made up on numbers and things like that, but there's so many things about this game that numbers can't tell you. Uh, the type of person, what he means in our clubhouse, his desire, um, how he goes about his business. Uh, those are the intangible things that, that I can see when I talk to somebody more than just the numbers. 
All right, Jeff Bagwell uh, with reporters at Minute Maid Park uh, on uh, Tuesday after the press conference with Jose Abreu. Uh, I liked what he said, man. It was all of a sudden he was surrounded by reporters out there. But here's a guy that, and he made it clear. He said, "I may not be smart on a lot of things, but I do know baseball." And I think he's got the ear of Jim Crane. I think Jim Crane trusts what he says, and and, and at least get some guidance on what direction to go. Well, he also made waves for his uh, very anti-analytics stance, which some people took away as kind of a shot at the way that James Click ran the department. Yeah, and, absolutely. But he, he clarified it later. What I thought was interesting is his actual thoughts on, on all you know the numbers in baseball, and he said, for pitchers, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love having the spin rate and all of this info and all these little things to know how deep a slider goes and all that stuff. For hitters... That's where I don't want it because he, he asked you know the group of us around and said, when you're hitting well, what are you thinking about? Mm-hmm. Nothing, right? right? Yep. So why do I need a hitter to go in the box and thinking about these 10 different numbers about if I put my bat at the 13-degree angle to hit a <laughs> 96 exit velo in the air at you know, whatever? Right. He doesn't want guys thinking about that, but when it comes to pitching, he's totally fine with it. He said, from a pitching standpoint, mm-hmm. I get it. I get it. You need to know your numbers, and you have like a bad inning, and you can go in there and go, hey, my slider's spin rate's down on my slider clearly something's wrong. It works for pitchers. It doesn't work for hitters. So I think he got a little bit unfairly attacked for that. However, I think the Astros need to be careful about flipping too much from they had a big reliance on analytics and flipping too much the other way of, now we're going gut feel. Can't do that. Right. There's got to be a happy medium, but... uh... You know, he felt like they were on the extreme end of that stuff with, uh, with under James Click. So apparently Jim Crane uh, agreed, and I think that they're going kind of in that direction as well. I uh, had the chance uh, in, uh, to talk with uh, Jesus Ortiz. Many of you used to know his longtime uh, history with the uh, beat writer with the Astros, a lot of writing with the Major League Baseball, now the editor of OurEsquina.com. Uh, here's a little bit of that conversation uh, from Minute Maid Park on the signing of Jose Abreu. I want to get your take initially just on the player that is Abreu and what he immediately uh, brings to this lineup. Leadership, power, potential, one of the best hitters in baseball. Simple as that. And a guy who's 35, but he's proven, if you look at his numbers, this guy can, I mean, he didn't have it last year, 15 home runs, but he's averaged close to 30 home runs per season in his career. Yes, absolutely. I mean, just two years ago, he was the American League most valuable player. Mm -hmm. And when Jeff Bagwell tells you he was their number one choice, I talked to his agent. They approached him as soon as they could by MLB rules. That's yeah. how important he was to them. He solidifies them, solidifies the lineup. And, you know, three years ago, he sent uh, the Cubans and the Latino stars on the Astros breakfast. Last night at dinner, he showed his phone to Jim Crane and dang near had all the phone numbers of the Astros roster. Wow. That tells you about what this guy means to Major League Baseball in general. Yeah, and being a fit in the clubhouse, Bagwell hit about, hit on that. He said, I know his talent, but he said adjusting in a clubhouse on a team that has the, the, the uh, that's built already to win and win at a high level, that's important as he steps in. That's very important. I will compare him to Jose Altuve as, as far as a clubhouse presence. Steady leader, not much drama. He's not going to say crazy things. He's just going to lead and do his work. Yeah. All right. Jeff Bagwell spoke. Uh, interesting how he's. Uh, it seems like his position is being elevated. Says he doesn't want to be the GM. I think he'd make a great one, by the way. Uh, but what do you think about his role now with Jim Crane? They're tight, and he he's an Astro man, and he he actually he enjoys being a part of this, and he was involved 
in the negotiations dealing with the Abreu? Yeah, this is great for baseball in the city of Houston because Jeff Bagwell, he left a lot of money to stay here, as you well know. He cares about this community. He cares about the Astros. And this, who knows more about baseball than Jeff Bagwell in the city of Houston? But what I found was interesting that he admitted that he personally thought the Astros skewed way too far to analytics. He didn't mention James Click, but the question was clearly about James Click. All right, thanks to Jesus Ortiz uh, for his insight on the Astros move. And, again, you you look, uh, Ari, uh, at this lineup now. I mean, golly, this is a loaded lineup. And now you – in a normal team, I think he'd be hitting higher. But here, most people believe he's going to be around that six-hole – uh, what after is that be after Tucker probably? Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, again, he could move move up and into the five hole and put Tucker at six to split the lefties with yeah. uh, Jordan in the four and Tucker in the six. Uh, a lot of people don't like Jeremy Pena hitting second because he's not a high on base percentage guy. But the Astros mm-hmm. went fifty three and nine with him hitting second, mm. and as we've documented plenty of times, the adjustment that he made in September with his leg kick and he started hitting much much better than he did for that lull that he had in in June July August. And yeah. you got to think that he knows what his weakness is. He knows that he needs to get on base more. He knows he needs to discern pitches a little better, and that's something that he's going to work on because a lot of the other things that he's got part of his game, those things went well. He won a gold glove. He hit for some power. Mm-hmm. The one weakness was, hey, strikes out, chasing stuff, and doesn't get on base enough. So I think if he fixes that, and there is a really good example of a year-to-year fix in this specific thing, a guy named Jose Reyes, who was the Mets shortstop okay. in 2005, was awful at getting on base. And then they brought in Ricky Henderson in spring training 2006, who's one of the greatest on-base guys of all time, and and kind of help him just teach kind of what pitches to watch for, little things, timing on jumps to to run um, stolen bases and things like that. And in 2006, Jose Reyes went out and had his best season, hit 19 home runs, power went up, had uh, a much better on-base percentage, went from like 300 to like 360, like 60-point jump in OBP. One year difference where Ricky Henderson came in and said, this is kind of the stuff you want to watch for. The mm-hmm. Astros might not need to bring in Ricky Henderson. They have a guy in the lineup already, Alex Bregman, who is one of the best eyes in baseball right now. And there are things that I think Jeremy Pena can take away from Bregman. Those guys have two totally different approaches at the plate, but there are little things that he can learn to fix that one little thing, and then you trust him in that two-hole in the lineup. Can't wait. Uh, spring training will be here before we know it. A good addition with, uh, with Abreu and uh, last thing before we wrap it up, uh, they, Jim Crane made it clear, even Bagwell in the interview, you were there with me, uh, he said, we're not done yet. Yeah. Um, what's What do you think's out there right now? I mean, are they still keeping their fingers crossed that maybe somehow Verlander can say no, like it looks like the Dodgers are in on him pretty good, but can he say no to them, maybe work some kind of one-year deal or two-year deal with Verlander? Or you think that's pretty much sailed already, that ship sailed? I wouldn't say the ship has sailed, but it's all about whether or not Jim Crane wants to go into the luxury tax, which he was asked about that in the press conference, and he said we have the resources to do it. That doesn't necessarily mean he wants to do it, but they can. He has the money. And they have, right now, I think after the deal, something like $36 million left before they hit the luxury tax after uh, Jose Abreu. And that's not enough for Verlander. Mm -hmm. And then you still have two spots. I want to see a left-handed hitter in the outfield. Michael Brantley obviously fits if they want to bring him back. There are some other names. Cody Bellinger has been brought up, much to the chagrin of Astros fans. Man, if he signs, what what would that be like when he's introduced? Do they get over it? Because there's so much bad blood with the Dodgers in the history of I Carlos. like it because you're buying at the like absolute yeah. lowest value of a guy who was MVP three years and ago. you got to think he's 
he's not going to stay where he is. He's proven he can hit and produce, man. You, yeah, you can't. He's, he's not a 200 snap hitter. out of this and maybe another set of eyes on his, on his uh, hitting stroke and maybe solve the problem. But that'd be interesting if he came here. Though. Wilson Contreras is the other name they're looking yep. at. And I was reading uh, Ken Rosenthal reporting, uh, your favorite guy, uh, oh, yeah. yesterday. Um, the one thing they like about Wilson Contreras is he's played left field before. Not yep. very much, but because Minute Maid is easier to play in left field than most other places, yep. you stick him out there for 30 games. Mm-hmm. He can catch some games. He can play a little first. He can DH. He can play a little left field. And you'll have a contract similar to the one that Jose Abreu got for about $20 million a year. And yeah. you're still under the tax if you need to add a mm-hmm. starting pitching depth of someone gets hurt, you need to make a trade, that would help. But there's a lot of teams in on him. The Cardinals need a catcher. The Mets need a catcher. The Astros need Contreras. He is going to have a hot market, and that could drive the price up. Yep. All right. Uh, good week for the Astros. It begins uh, with Jose Abreu coming on board, and uh, he will take over first base. Uh, pretty much means uh, say so long to Yuli Gurriel, although they say they still want him. I just don't see him taking a, a, a role unless he unless there's just nobody out there that wants him as a starter. I still think there will be, but Maybe. will he take a role as a utility guy? I, just, I don't see why you wouldn't. I mean, it just, I, I read somewhere on. where Boston may have some interest in him, though. Yeah, so I, you know. he could get a seven eight million dollar deal on a one year deal. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, work to be done uh, as far as the GM goes. Jim Crane says not in a big rush. He said maybe in January things will heat up. And you keep hearing the name. Would Brad Osmus perhaps have interest in, in getting into that role? And Bagwell, I think, would said said I think he said yesterday he would be a great fit, but he doesn't know where he is. You know what I was thinking: is he ready to even get into that or not? But uh, Bagwell for sure said he's not interested in the GM job, but he definitely likes the role helping out and helping the cause for the Astros. In this case, he helped going to Miami to convince Jose Abreu to come on board in Houston. And he's now an Astro. That's going to wrap it up for this week's uh, Houston Sports Weekly. Ari and I hanging out here. Uh, coverage, of course, anything that happens on the Astros, we'll have it for you. Same with the Texans. Special thanks as well to our Texans insider uh, from ClickToHouston.com, Aaron Wilson. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the Texas game and the return of Deshaun Watson. We'll talk more about that and anything else happening in the Houston sports scene next week on the Houston Sports Weekly podcast. So long for now.